in the queue film conversations with andrew and phil i'm your co-host phil and there's something about charlotte copley mm. that when i watch him in the film i just don't want anything bad to happen to him charlotte copley is wonderful in everything that he does and somehow brightens up otherwise miserable movies i'm not saying that's necessarily the case here i'm just saying that i'm thinking very specifically about uh elysium well the the second half of my thought was that <laughs> yes you don't want anything bad to happen to him but bad stuff seems to happen to him a lot in movies yeah he's he gets i mean even in his most well-known and acclaimed film district nine he bad things happen to him throughout <laughs> Yeah, he's just kind of like a punching bag. But he's so funny and charming. Anyway, that's my Charlotte Copley moment. No, I love it. Uh, I'm Andrew. I'm your other co-host. And uh, this movie very clearly takes place in the 70s because every single character in the movie is impeccably dressed to the height of 70s fashion. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of insane, actually. Yeah. Well, we're talking about... Free Fire, the new film by Ben Wheatley, mm. uh, which he co-wrote with Amy Jump. They're a, uh, a team in mm-hmm. real life and in the movie business. Mm-hmm. And uh, they recently made High Rise, which we reviewed on this podcast. We did indeed. And we're going to talk all about the movie Free Fire in just a moment. Um, but first, I want to tell you guys out there where you can find us on the web. You can go to our blog, which is found at www.in-the-q.com. That's the letter Q, mind you. And uh, we also have a Facebook page. It is found at In the Q, Q U E U E. On our blog and our Facebook page, we have all of our episodes posted. You can leave comments for us. And we would really encourage you to do that on our Facebook page because then we can actually get back in touch with you. Indeed. And we would love to have you on the show as a guest. We do this all the time. Uh, you could Skype in for a, a program duration with us. And, uh, we love to talk about movies, and we know that if you like movies, you generally have something to say about them. And not everybody has a platform in life to talk about movies. So true. So let us be let us be your platform. We're here for um, you. Yeah. Um, we also have a Twitter. It is at ITQ Podcast. And lastly, you can find us on iTunes, Overcast Podcast, many other podcast aggregate apps. Mm-hmm. So, without further ado, today's film is Free Fire. It's good to meet you, boys. Thanks for coming out. Boys from Gonzo. Eh? So, what do you say we check out the merch? That's not what he ordered. They ordered M16s? Really? I'm not running a pizza delivery service. Don't shoot the deal's off! Ah! I've been shot! Oh, now we're cooking! Go for the case. You're a bird. They're not going to shoot the bird. You get the case. You smell a perfume. It's beard oil. Damn dust hanging on my allergies. Oh, God, who said I'm on? You seem like a nice girl. We can't all be nice girls. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was Free Fire and the story for Free Fire. I envy you this description of the plot because I don't know if we've ever had an easier <laughs> go of it. 
Yeah, uh, I was about to say, perhaps you could really say it's more of a premise than a story. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the premise of Free Fire is uh, representatives from two different gangs meet mm-hmm. in Boston in 1978 in a deserted warehouse uh, in order to make a uh, exchange a purchase of some ammunitions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody is selling guns, then somebody else is buying them. But it quickly goes south. Mm. And it turns into a free fire of sorts. Oh man! And there's a shootout. It's a it's an hour and a half. It's as if somebody said, "Hey, let's take those moments from Quentin Tarantino films <laughs> when people are pointing guns at each other and nobody knows what to do, and then they start shooting each other and killing each other. Let's make a whole movie that's just that." Yeah. Um, now. This film is set in 1978. Why? Well, probably because there are no cell phones Mm -hmm. in 1978. Mm -hmm. There's no way that people can call their buddies or call for help. They're stuck in this warehouse during the shootout. And, um, you know, it's like Ben Wheatley is not my favorite guy right now because I didn't like High Rise and mm. I see something similar, a similar tactic to storytelling in this film. Ooh, do tell. Uh, yeah. So Ben Wheatley and Amy Jump, his co-screenwriter, um, they don't seem to be concerned with making a good film. Uh, they <laughs> oh, they don't seem to be interested in pleasing their audience. Mm. Um, now, it's almost like Ben Wheatley, he, he loved to tear down the uh, the upper class in uh, High Rise. Sure, sure. He loved to watch them self-destruct and kill each other. Yeah. He loves to watch these people kill each other, also mm-hmm. set in the 1970s. Um, and he was born in the 1970s, so there may be some other satisfaction for him in that regard. Sure. But what High Rise and Free Fire are both missing is a coherent plot. And yeah. the thing about Free Fire, it's like... Sure, it may be fun, and it may be risque, and it may be misanthropic in, a, in an amusing way to say, yeah, I'm just going to make a movie that's nothing but people shooting at each other. Mm-hmm. But that is an aggressively dumb concept for a movie, <laughs> oh, because you're assuming that your audience, that's all they need. That's all they require to be entertained, is for people to be shooting guns. This movie, the direction yeah. is awful. There's Ooh. no... There's no attention paid to the direction of the bullets that are being fired. Ah, yes. There's no, men- the there's no of mention problem. of how much ammunition these people have. It's just nothing but shots of people saying, like, uh, labored catchphrases and shots of them firing guns. It's, it, it's very, very bad. Ooh. And the only thing that I liked out of this movie, well, the thing I liked the most, was that it introduced me to a great John Denver song. <laughs> which is like the only other reason why this was set in the 1970s so that they could do a kind of a clever Tarantino-esque musical counterpoint to violence by playing a very beautiful love song. Sure. Um, apart from that, there's a, there's a moment at the, at the film's climax where a character, a major character, dies a grotesque and brutal death. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't care less. It, it absolutely had no impact. Well, yeah, and I think that you're getting at the core of uh, a couple of the problems that I had with the film. Um, even though I, I did enjoy myself, and I think I enjoyed myself primarily because 
it's filled with really excellent actors and yeah. I enjoy watching them on screen regardless of uh, what they're doing. Uh, Charlotte Copley, as we mentioned, Army Hammer, who I thought was excellent in this. I thought he was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Brie, Brie Larson, of course. Uh, Killian Murphy, who's great. Uh, Noah Taylor, who I've mm-hmm. liked for years. Um, they're all in this film. And then a bunch of people I hadn't really seen uh, before who all turned in uh, perfectly interesting, fun performances. But yeah, I think I think that you're right in saying that there is no plot. This is just a movie that's a premise. Um, this mm-hmm. is like the kind of movie that you want to make when you're 13 and you're just learning about movies and you want to make <laughs> movies. And you're like, oh man, wouldn't it be cool if we did a whole movie in a, a warehouse where everybody's shooting exactly. at each other. But uh, to uh, contrast this with another movie that is set in a warehouse with a bunch of criminals... Uh, Reservoir Dogs you mm-hmm. mentioned Tarantino earlier uh, that's all set in one location for the most part with a couple of flashbacks that are outside of that location uh, and it is so much more interesting because you have really interesting characters that you do care about uh, and even though they may for the most part be fairly misanthropic uh, you're invested in their success or their failure and the story itself is great. And of course, the dialogue written by Tarantino is magical. Yeah. You've also one, got a yeah. nonlinear structure to Reservoir oh, Dogs, sure. which, which keeps things moving, keeps things fresh. Sure. Uh, you know, that's that type of, they call it the oneric structure mm-hmm. to a film. And Free Fire is just plunges headlong yeah. into the shootout and just doesn't stop. It's very and linear. It's, uh, it's, it's very linear. It's very, it's boneheaded. Yeah, and uh, and then the other thing that you touched on, and this is something that I've any faithful listener of the podcast will know is a big uh, no-no as far as I'm concerned, is that Ben Wheatley gives literally no consideration to sp- the spatial geometry of this film. Mm-hmm. You have no idea where anybody is at any given time. All you see are a shot of somebody firing a gun followed by a shot of some bullet ricocheting off of some surface or hitting somebody and that's mm-hmm. and that's just the whole film and you never have any sense of who is where or what is going on even even one of the uh big moments and, I, and i'll issue a spoiler alert here for people who are uh interested in watching this film because uh we already talked about it we want to kind of get in depth into the story such as it is mm-hmm. uh in this film but uh there's a moment in the in the film where these two gangs have uh, they're fighting it out with each other and then they suddenly realize that there's somebody firing a rifle at them that neither one of them brought to the fight essentially right and like I thought what a perfect opportunity for a lot of tension and a lot of confusion and a lot of you know uh, people trying to figure out what's going on but I never had any sense of where they were (laughs) it was just like they're off somewhere um, I, mean, I could tell that Army say, Hammer knew where they were, but it, it, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's not to say that a story like this could couldn't work. Um, yeah, it, it could. It could have. It could have had, kind of like the uh, the feel of a video game. You know, sure. it could have had the feel of a of a, an actual just shootout. It, say you're not interested in building characters. Okay, well, Reservoir Dogs already did that. You don't have to remake Reservoir Dogs. But if you just want to make an exciting action movie centered around guns 
you have to establish the rules. You have to yeah. you have to let the audience know what they're playing for. And some things that that Ben Wheatley could have considered was like one, uh, letting the audience know how much ammo these guys had when they would start to run out, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and just reading the trivia for this movie, uh, apparently he he did build a, a mock-up of the location, mm-hmm. which, uh, but neither Andrew or I seem to have gotten a real sense of the space just by watching it. So yeah, perhaps some more storyboarding would have been in order. I, I doubt that. I mean, I really doubt that he storyboarded every single shot in this movie. I seriously doubt that um, a movie like Mad Max yeah. Fury Road. They did storyboard every single shot. And that movie is a great example of action on screen. Yeah. Yeah. And this is um, devoid of that, which, which isn't to say it doesn't have its exciting moments and exciting altercations between some of the characters. I mean, there's some fun moments and there's a lot of humor to be found in the film, um, mm-hmm. especially from Charlotte Copley's character. Yeah. Uh, but uh but yeah, it's kind of all for nothing if you have no idea what's going on at any point in time and you aren't invested in the characters. And that's one of the other major issues with the film. Uh, even though I had fun, like it moved along and I was having fun watching it, <clears throat> I, I really hated everybody in the movie. I hated every <laughs> character. Like they were all garbage humans. And I didn't really yeah. understand why I should care about them. You know, and I think what you're touching on now is is Ben Wheatley's M.O. Uh, from yeah. the films that I've seen. Like, uh, in High Rise, he just delights in in watching these horrible people die and and eat each other. I think there's actually cannibalism in that, if, I, if mm-hmm. my memory serves. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just kind of, he wants to watch the whole world burn. Uh, yeah, Kill and, List is no different. Yeah, so that's kind of what he's all about, him and, and Amy Jump. And uh, I really can't get on board with that kind of movie making. <laughs> I, you know, I I enjoy, I enjoy the the pessimistic films. I enjoy the dark films. I enjoy the films that have terribly cynical conclusions or endings. Um, but even even with that, usually a very skilled filmmaker, I'm like you could say that. Um, Pretty much everything that Stanley Kubrick ever made, for instance, was uh, very pessimistic. They were they did not see the best in humanity. They saw, tend to see the worst. And uh, even so, and even as a filmmaker who is criticized at times for having wooden robotic characters, I still care about what is happening to them in the film. And also, you're you know, there's a whole level of added dimension to the films of Kubrick or Tarantino mm-hmm. that is not even broached in the films of Ben Wheatley. Yeah. Um, it, it's like Ben Wheatley just kind of, he didn't learn anything from this filmmakers. All he learned was how to use profanity and, and kill off characters, how to not, not be afraid to have his characters suffer. Well, it almost seems to me like it's a sandbox for him to figure out ways to kill people and just to have fun with that. Because um, when it boils down to it, in this film, you you see people get killed off one by one by one by one. And each death more horrific than the last. Uh, and it's, it's, it's always played either for a laugh or just for like a gross-out 
moment. And I don't know. I, I wasn't laughing the whole time. I mean, like there were moments again, I'll, I'll say this. There were moments in this film that worked for me. Uh, I thought it moved along at a good clip. Uh, it didn't mm-hmm. overstay its welcome. I don't think necessarily. Uh, but I mean, there, there, there was late in the film. There's a moment when a, a character external to the goings on inside the warehouse sort of wanders into the warehouse. And I was expecting it to be the catalyst for some sort of interesting plot development or something cool, new and interesting to be added to the, to the mix to, you know, start the movie in a different direction and, and, and energize things. But all it ended up doing was this person just became part of the fray. It was just like another body. I think that he painted himself into a corner merely with the idea of this film. <laughs> Let's have a shootout in the warehouse that lasts for an hour. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he could have he could have gotten a lot more creative, he and Amy Jump. They could have really taken this in a different direction. And sure. They, they, they held themselves to this very specific conceit because they thought maybe it would be more challenging to write and direct, or maybe they thought... It, it would make it be a good selling point for the for the film. Maybe that it might help it get distributed. Uh, but I really just kind of thought that it uh, it was a failure. And you know, you say it moves along at a, at a good clip, and that's a pretty good unintentional pun, I will add. <laughs> but uh, simply simply by the fact that somebody shooting a gun is captivating to watch the same way somebody might be captivated by somebody walking up to the front door and opening the front door. There's something inherently compelling about that type of shot. Sure. Uh, but it's not enough. It's just not enough. And um, mm. I can't help but think that the reason why the wonderful people at A24 decided to distribute this to movie <laughs> is because it resembled in some ways um, – Green Room from two years ago. Sure. In the sense that you've got last year, right? Uh, well, it says two twenty fifteen. Yeah. On the the date, so it might it probably came out last year, but it might have been filmed sure, earlier. Sure. But that's, yeah, you got two films where you can just tell that the filmmaker said, "Let's create this world. Let's fill it with characters. Then let's kill them all off one by one. Yeah, yeah. And let's make them suffer. That's the premise. And I think Green Room did a better job. Because oh, there was yeah. more to it. There's more dimension. You had this whole dimension of this punk rock band and this the neo-Nazi antagonist. There's much more going on. Yeah. Uh, here, there's just not enough. There's not enough gravitas to justify this movie. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I would say A24, I think, also did High Rise. Um, so they're probably... I, I don't think they did, though. I you just don't think they did? Up. No, um, I, just, I couldn't see their name anywhere interesting. for High Rise. Well, it's certainly up their alley. It's the kind of film that you would expect that a company like A24 would, would produce. Um, and I think that they're probably... A24 is invested in auteurs. And I think that Ben Wheatley certainly has a style and has a uh, way of making his films. Uh, Phil and I might not be the biggest fans of it, uh, but I, I think that it it doesn't surprise me that A24 would uh, mm-hmm. would pick up a film like this. 
but it's certainly not the pedigree of Moonlight or Ex Machina or Under the Skin or, or those kinds of films. Yeah, I would definitely say not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> even though you've got some, the pedigree of the actors in this film is excellent. You have sure. an Oscar winner. You have yeah. uh, several other great actors. But I can't help but think that the only reason, and here's a reminder of the spoiler alert, I can't help but think of the only reason that Brie Larson agreed to be in this film is because she has one of those last laugh moments yeah. um, where it turns out the only woman in the film is the one who outsmarts everybody. Uh, she doesn't emerge unscathed, but um, really, I mean, I, I, I kind of wonder, either that or she was thinking, oh, I just won an Oscar I'm going to take it easy for a while. I'll make Skull Island and now I'll make this. I'll have some fun. My agent says I'll have some fun. So yeah, I'll just yeah. do, I'll take this role. But really it's, it's uh, anybody, I mean, what the hell did the script even look like? I just wonder yeah. how many pages were devoted to man shoots gun, woman shoots gun. Yeah. It feels like it's man like a shoot. 40 page script, right? <laughs> it can't be longer than yeah. that. But Brie um, Larson is very charismatic and beautiful and fun course. to watch, so I, I'm glad she was at least in it. Yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, I mean, I could watch Charlotte Copley all day. Uh, no matter, mm-hmm. I could watch him read the phone book. I think it would be interesting. Um, and, of course, Killian Murphy doing his native Irish accent was wonderful as well. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was... In the long run, it was underwhelming and forgettable in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like a, I don't know. It's it's a fun way to pass the time, I guess, but it's not. I, you shouldn't I, expect very much. I think if you, <laughs> not to sound like a total douche, but if you have this much time to devote in your life, that you would that this would be a worthy use of your time. I. That's the, that's the best relate. you can say is that <laughs> that only if you have I, so much free time. <laughs> yeah, I really do think that you know somebody somebody on a uh, Twitter who yeah. uh, writes for Film School Rejects. His name is H. Perry Horton, and he pinned a tweet on his page recently, and it's it's been there for quite a while, and the tweet merely says, "Life is too short." to view and talk about films you don't give a shit about. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, it's a very pointed comment. But seriously, like, if you, if you see a lot of films, yeah, then something like Free Fire, it just, it doesn't seem to really occupy that running time. It doesn't seem like it was a good use of your time. That's how I feel. If you see a lot of movies, if you have a, if you have a very high pedigree for movies, Free Fire, like, doesn't really even approach that. Yeah, I would say so. I, I would agree with that. Um, it does have a couple of great John Denver songs, though. I mean, I guess you, you can listen to those. You fill up my senses <laughs> like night in a forest. <laughs> no, I loved it. And and that was the best part of the film because the this Andy song by John Denver is coming out of the, the car radio. Mm-hmm. It has this wonderful echo. And kind of like there's a lot of reverb to it. It's very haunting. And I got to admit, I'm a sucker for musical counterpoint, which <laughs> like Kubrick and Tarantino both do very well. Masters of it. Yeah. And 
Yeah, in the middle of this horrific misanthropic shootout where everybody suffers and everybody gets killed, you hear this beautiful music playing. Mm. I actually really love stuff like that. And to me, that's the only place where this film scored. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a joke, I guess. <laughs> it's a pun, double meaning. But like, that's the only time where this movie actually uh, made, made the mark. It actually got it right, was by using that song the way they did. Yeah. Yeah. I see where you're coming from, Phil. Uh, I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than you did. Uh, but I would, by no stretch of the imagination, call this uh, an excellent film. Um, mm-hmm. Fun, diverting, uh, fun to watch these all of these really good actors just being good and having fun. Um, and they each have their, their kind of moments. But uh, when it comes down to it, it just it just sort of it just kind of passes through your brain. You know, <laughs> there isn't. It doesn't lodge in your brain. It kind of wafts through. Yeah. Well, I don't know what he's doing next, but it can probably only be an improvement. I'm curious because I think that Ben Wheatley, I think he has talent. Uh, I think that there is, he's picking interesting projects and he's engaging in interesting ways. And, and Kill List was, even though not my favorite film it was an interesting film to watch it was a very interesting uh film um so i think he's picking interesting work i just want to see i just want to see that like just solid film come come out of him yeah i mean i would actually like to see him adapt a film based on somebody else's script yeah i mean that could be um i mean high rise was based off of a novel but i think he still wrote the script oh good point yeah, good point. No, you're right. Yeah, he uh, he and Amy Jump, they wrote the screenplay. They see, I think they write the screenplay for all of their films. Yeah, yeah. But this, the source material might be... It's uh, In High Rise, it's from a J.G. Ballard novel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so maybe they're already working with other writers, but uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe a film from those two that would perhaps... <laughs> perhaps wear its heart on its sleeve a little bit more. Maybe maybe it would betray how they really feel. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe hate personal. its own characters less. I think that that would be helpful. Like, to to just dislike, you know, to have such a poor opinion of its own characters, just to be so misanthropic, I, I don't think ends up making for fun movies. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, yeah, what does he love? A film about something he loves. Yeah. Now, Tarantino movies are very bleak and pessimistic at times, especially Reservoir Dogs. But you still feel the love because he puts it into the movie. And uh, he loves his Tarantino, characters to death. I mean, like, he could yeah, not he's be a, more in love with his characters. And he's a brilliant filmmaker. He's a brilliant stylist. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, a story like that could work if, you're, if you've got a genius behind the camera who... who the char- you may not love the characters, but you love the way everything is rendered. You love the way mm-hmm. the story is told. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Free Fire, it, stylistically, there's not even that much going on. It's not, there's not, nothing really remarkable about the way it's made. So mm-hmm. that adds up to an unremarkable unre- film. Yeah. 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 Well, that's how we feel about it, I guess. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, I, I probably liked it less than Andrew. I think so. Um, but... I don't even know how much Andrew liked it. I, I didn't love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Fair enough. That's our show about Free Fire. 
Stay tuned for our next episode. It's going to be another listener's choice. We're going to have Christy back on the program. Yeah, returning champ. Yeah, she's going to talk about the film from last year, Eye in the Sky, which is a very topical film these days. So stay tuned for that, and we'll catch you next time. See you next time.